Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's just gone 10 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And yes, the elections are behind us. It's all done, all dusted. The outcome, I think, was pretty much predictable, but uh, there were some very, very interesting changes and movements that happened. They were subtle, they were slight, but they had a fundamental difference on the psyche, I think, of South Africans. And I think the overall feeling is that they were free, they were fair, they were well run, they were efficient. And yes, we've now got a South African electorate that is looking at those that they put into power or those that they voted for to say, For the next four years, we don't want to hear about any other parties. All we want to hear about is us. What are you going to do for us? And we know that um, our president has been in a holding position. President Cyril Ramaphosa has really been in a holding position since he took over as leader of the ANC and therefore president of the country until these elections happened so that he could implement that which he says he's going to implement. But we're not quite sure how that's going to work. There's a lot of work to be done. There is one big skeleton in the closet called ESCOM. But on the line is Martin Ackerman, who's Chief Economist and Advisory Partner at Citadel, who's going to unpack all these things for us. Martin, welcome welcome to Chai FM. Good afternoon, Avi. Great. Great to have you with us, and thank you for making the time. Martin, let's start at the at, at the very beginning. The elections are over. President Cyril Ramaphosa is firmly in the seat of power, the first thing he needs to do on the 28th of this month is elect or set up his cabinet. What does that mean to the economy? Yes, I think um, in terms of the election outcome, um, most people expected the ANC to win uh, and obviously for President Ramaphosa to be the president. So the election was just there to give us certainty in terms of how strong that winning will be. So will it be 55 or 60? So now we've got somewhere in the middle of that range. Um, but I don't think it's any surprise that it is actually the ANC and President Sir Ramaphosa. So from an investor point of view, specifically international investors, it's probably more important the next step, which is the announcement of the cabinet. And what they are looking for is um, whether President Ramaphosa will be brave enough to actually uh, Cut the size, as he indicated previously, but also it will be around the table. Um, the current list is, you know, still, um, includes still a lot of, uh, uh, Zuma faction supporters. And this will be a clear indication whether Soron Poza is, uh, taking the backing of the people and doing the right thing in terms of appointing the right cabinet members. So I think from an international point of view, this is probably more important than the actual election outcome because this will be the first indication whether he is um, making the hard and tough decisions to actually turn the country around. You know, I suppose no one really envies President Cyril Ramaphosa at the moment simply because he's got this juggling act to do. On the one hand, there is the country, the investors, the future, and on the other hand is the populist side of economics where you've got to keep the ANC sort of at bay. You've got to play all the different egos. 
um, and make sure that you create stability within the ruling party because the last thing we need there is is a whole explosion and a factionalism. Rather, we, you know, it's, it's a matter of having everybody working in the same direction. But again, as you say, the 28th will be the day that uh, we'll see what happens. What we had interesting is that we're in the in the in the last budget with uh, the new minister of finance, Tito, Tito Mboweni, who, from what I could understand, was really a very popular, who still is a very popular finance minister, a man of pedigree, a man of experience, and a man of principle. Do you think that he'll retain his position? Yeah, I think uh, any. Uh, uh view on who will be in the new cabinet right now is, is pure speculation. There's, there's no way that people in the public domain can have a handle on that. So, so that is definitely up to the president. Um, so, you know, that aside, I, I think if you look at the, the current team that went into the election uh, that's been in charge of top economic positions, so whether it's the governor of Reserve Bank, Minister of Finance, um, Minister Pravin Gordon, um, you know, that is the team that I guess most international investors are, are backing, or, or that kind of team that can really make a change and implement, uh, and reform a country. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think it's, it's you know, just Tito Mbeweni that can do that job as Minister of Finance. Um, but it will be pure speculation now to say whether it will be him or, or anybody else. Okay, then on the other side, is there is the major talk about the reduction of the size of the cabinet. Why is that so important? Well, it is, um, you know, if you look at the, the, the growth in the cabinet uh, since 1994, it's been quite steep. And um, it is also not just the cabinet, but the view of government to support and grow the public sector. So we have seen quite a significant increase in public sector workers, so that will include places like ESCOM and SAA. And as a result of that, we're now sitting with the biggest wage bill uh, compared to the size of our GDP um, in the OECD countries. And that's obviously a major challenge for the budget because um, all these people need to be paid salaries. And that's why the Minister of Finance said that, um, you know, going forward, we in time need to reduce the headcount, but also the kind of salary increases that, that we've been paid in the past. So um, by starting on the 28th and indicating that you are willing to reduce the cabinet, I think that is the, uh, the first step to show that you are serious about reducing the headcount, not only in cabinet, but also maybe down the line other public um, sectors as well. So really, uh, we should have a chat a few days after the 28th and see what happens because right now it's, it's really it's speculation. But together with that, coupled with that, is the tough rhetoric, the tough talk that the President and the Minister of Finance um, really gave prior to the elections. Now is the time to deliver on that. So separate from the bloated cabinet, the, the, the bloated public um, um, service sector, which has got far too many employees, these are these some really tough economic decisions that need to be made. And most of them really, you know, are, sorry, are really center around the, the fact that we need growth and we need to reduce unemployment. So on the one hand, we're saying we must reduce 
the public sector wage bill. And on the other hand, we're saying we must increase employment. And I suppose the only way to do that is to remove, you know, red tape from business, making business a lot easier, making transactions a lot easier. How do you feel the government should go about restructuring the, the business milieu at the moment? So I think the next important step now is to start addressing um, some of our challenges. So there's been a lot said about that over the past 12 months. Um, maybe um, given that we haven't had the election yet, we haven't seen a lot of implementation yet. So the president were uh, you know, quite um, um, visual in his drive for investments into South Africa, trying to rebuild trust and confidence. We had the investment summit. Um, in October last year, and all of this is an attempt to say, well, as soon as we can get investments back into the country, whether that is through local private sector or global uh, foreign direct investments, you know, it will create a platform for us to actually kickstart the economy and then start to address the structural issues of which inequality and high unemployment is probably uh, number one. So I think now at the stage that um, for them to, to make sure that, you know, five years down the line from today if they want to keep their position or hopefully increase their position um, they they need to start to deliver and that's why it's so important to start earlier rather than than, than later to, to actually address these issues and you're right it's, um, it's things like uh, trying to support medium and small business um, in terms of registering to do business, registering for tax, simplifying uh, paying tax for those businesses, um, just removing the whole admin red tape hurdle of, of doing business in SA. You know, so the uh, ease of doing business in SA, uh, which is measured globally, has been declining rapidly over the past 10 years. And that is uh, the one thing that we need to turn around to just make it easier again to do business, because obviously business will in time create the jobs that we need. And I think we also need to create a, a culture um, within small business that paying tax is part of one's business. Because the feeling that I get when I speak to small business and get involved with small business is that everything is done that is humanly possible to avoid paying any tax. Even if it means, you know, creating multiple businesses, whatever it is. Um, whereas if we could say that our tax money is going to a good purpose, it's going to a good cause, paying tax is a lot easier than uh, trying to avoid paying it. Uh, that would also create a, a whole culture of payment which would, cre- which would increase the fiscus. Yes, I think, um, you know, that's part of what they talk about, the tax revolt. So as soon as the public realize that um, they're paying tax and they're already paying a lot of tax and whether that's, you know, individuals or companies, but they can't see any benefit of the tax that they pay. And, you know, if you think about the last couple of years of all the corruption and mismanagement, that's probably why people then are trying to push away from paying taxes. So, well, you know what, if I pay tax, I don't see the benefit and the money might be wasted somewhere else. So let's rather try and, um, you know, avoid paying tax in, in, in a legal sense. So, you know, look at different ways of paying tax, structuring your fees differently, uh, having business expenses that you can write off against your income and, and, and. But as soon as the government can rebuild trust and confidence in something like SARS, and we can see that the tax that we do pay is actually 
used beneficially to uplift the society and rebuild the economy, you know, then the attitude of business and individuals are changing and saying, well, I'm more than happy to make my contribution uh, and, and, and see the benefit for, for the bigger society. Fantastic. Martin, we need to just stop to run to the shops quickly. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 21 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've just joined us, if you've been with us, we are still on the line with Martin Ackerman, who's the chief economist and an advisory partner at Citadel. Um, Martin, let's go back to what we're talking about post-election um, economics. The one, I, the one matter in the economy that I just want to spend a few minutes discussing is mining. Mining, we know, has been declining for the last I don't know how long. The term has been that it's flatlined, but if it's, you're flatlining, it means that you're not growing. We know that there's very little infrastructure going in. There's very little capex being spent. Is it important that we get mining back up and running, that we increase it in order to employ more people, or should we rather be using those resources elsewhere? Um, yes, I think it's, it's, a, it's a challenge for South Africa, given that we uh, historically been quite a bit mining country. Mining's been a very important, uh, you know, it's still an important job creator. Um, it is also contributing, uh, you know, a big portion to the fiscus in terms of company tax. Um, but the reality is that for, for a couple of reasons, mining as a sector has been in a declining phase uh, in South Africa. And, and, you know, if we quickly just list those, it is um, an environment of uh, um, We've seen the super cycling commodities 2000 to 2007. Uh, and since then, you know, um, a slowdown in, in commodity prices. And obviously, being part of the global community, that, that's the headwind that we that year is facing as well. And then you add to that, you know, labor issues that's making um, mining in South Africa quite challenging. But also the quality, or, the, or not the quality, the, the, the great quality of our mines. The fact that some of the mines are getting very old um, and to put in infrastructure is quite expensive. You actually mine a similar amount of commodities here versus other parts in the world is, is getting more expensive. And they add to that the, the problem with, with energy supply. So so there's a lot of headwinds that's building towards the mining industry. And as part of that reason and the fact that, you know, something like our gold grade is not as, quality anymore and it's quite deep these days to, to extract that um, that is a, a sunset industry in South Africa but that aside you know if um, you then add to that 10 years we've seen um, under the old administration and not really trying to get private sector to talk to, to, to the public sector you know that just added to, to their concerns so the reason mining in Darba this year in Cape Town, you know, it was very positive feedback from private sector mining saying, well, I mean, there's much more willingness to work with governments. And in the past year, they've probably engaged with government 10 times more compared to the last decade. So it's not game over, but I do think there's a lot of um, structural headwinds that that sector specifically is facing. And where we are right now, one of the, the most important ones is probably also electricity supply. Um so, you know, you know, that's a sector that requires a lot of energy and an environment where we struggle to have enough capacity, you know, that, that's a major headwind for that sector. Martin, before... So you go ahead. 
Yeah, to, to answer you as as an alternative, I don't think we should get stuck on mining as the only way to to revive the economy and uh, to create jobs. You know, there's other sectors like, for example, tourism, which uh, we've got a lot to offer in South Africa, and where the tourism as a percentage of GDP is still actually quite small relative to other parts in the world. And um, you know, you you don't need a lot of energy to actually kickstart that sector and, and create a lot of jobs in that sector. So. It is to get the balance right in, in South African economy going forward. How important is policy certainty when it comes to mining? Just ask the question again. So how important is policy certainty when it comes to mining? No, that's obviously very important. So I think, um, you know, the whole mining chart over uh, the past couple of years and the uncertainty around that and how much... Um, of, of exploration or new mines or existing mines needs to be shared with, with communities and definitely get um, global investors on the site. So having policy certainty uh, is very, very important. But that aside, even if you've got the certainty, I think, you know, the headwinds that we are facing is very often it's not only South African issues, but that is um, lower demand globally. And the fact that our mines are deep and expensive to mine, you know, we can't do anything really about that. Um, so that is also working against the prospects for the industry as a whole. Okay, that makes um, makes a lot of sense and makes it a lot clearer. Um, Martin, let's deal with the elephant in the room. The, the challenge that the country has, which is ESCOM. The bottom line is if the lights don't stay on, if the power is not generated continuously, in other words, load shedding is almost as bad as not having power because it just creates panic and pandemonium and uncertainty. What is What needs to be done to make sure that ESCOM is viable, can stand it on its own two feet, can continue to generate because the demand has actually come down. So really all that needs to happen is we have to have constant, certain capacity. Yeah, I think, you know, ESCOM, we still two sides to the story. The one is the financial side, uh, where they've got major financial uh, issues and that in itself is a major risk for the country because if you look at our fiscal numbers, any misstep from ESCOM at this point in time will definitely push us into a downgrade scenario. So we obviously want to, to avoid that. Uh, the reality is that even if we do the unbundling and part of the funds that's been provided in the budget um, to support ESCOM is, is, is purely there to, to assist with the unbundling process. So that's not really reducing the excessive debt level, which is currently about 150 billion rand uh, debt. Um, and even after the bundling, you know, although some of the components will have less debt than others, the, the reality is the debt in inverted commerce also needs to be unbundled. So we are we will sit with that debt level that needs to be managed and hopefully if you can bring in more uh, efficiency, uh, proper management and less corruption, uh, we can prevent debt increasing further and get into a position where, you know, we could probably service the debt and and reduce it over time. Um, But the other problem or the other part of the point and the other part of the problem is the fact that um, all the financial issues aside, the current capacity and to increase the capacity, which obviously requires even further capital injection, um, you know, ESCOM is just not in a position to provide enough energy for a country that needs to grow at 3 4 5%. Uh, so we also need to look at how can we increase the capacity, whether we can address that through um, 
public-private partnership or open the industry for, for more alternative, more competitive industries as well. You know, the trend is already that a lot of um, private sector business in retail uh, mining is um, going off the grid, providing the only electricity, uh, which is good because it reduces the, 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 the load on ESCOM. But in a way, it's also bad because ESCOM is then permanently losing some of their clients. Um, and that's why it's so important that we, we get this uh, unbundling right in the next couple of months. Is and it is, like you said, uh, the elephant in the room. This is the first deliverable that government needs to tackle and hopefully get some proper results before the end of this year because um, this is what the rating agencies are looking at in terms of are we making progress in resolving this major issue or will the the drain on the fiscus remain as a result of this entity not being in a, in a, a healthy financial position? Now, Martin, that's an interesting thing. You know, I'm sure, you know, let's hope that 28th of May goes well and it goes the way investors and the country feels it should and everything starts falling into place. I'm sure we're going to look back at two, three, four years ago and say, how did the ratings agency not just push us off the edge? You know, how do they even keep us on the radar with the, the madness that was going on? Um, so I'm sure once the rating agencies just see stability, and certainty and growth and management and, you know, uh, everything in place to allow the economy to grow, I'm sure that will start lifting our rating. And the moment that does, it frees up cheaper money, which just makes things a, a lot easier to go forward. Martin, I know our time is up, but I just need to ask you one more question, if you don't mind, on a global issue. Um, I just, you know, everything was going so well up till about three, four days ago. The, the markets were stable, international markets were stable, things were growing, you know, there were headlines, even CNN was lauding Trump of, of having hadn't grown their economy and, uh, you know, the NASDAQ was doing well and all of a sudden this China issue comes up again and we hit this wobbly. Do we, do you feel that this China issue is a real issue? Um, or is it just a, a big noise that will go away? And how do you see it panning out? It is a real issue. Um, you know, I think that, um, uh, um, you know, it's not just China and the U.S. It is impacting other countries as well. And probably, you know, China and the U.S. is actually, although they fight, the economies are very close or much closer than others, meaning that you know, trade only makes out about below 20% of the economic growth. But if you look at countries like Germany and Japan, that's somewhere between 35 and 40%. So there's other countries that's getting hurt much more by the slowdown in trade and trade tariffs, uh, and that's the way it impacts the rest of the world. And obviously, like um, over the past couple of days, it, it's a direct impact on, on sentiment immediately uh, because eventually it will also impact companies, company margins and company profitability. Um, the way, where, where do we go from here? I think at this point in time, uh, you know, it is escalating. Um, but in a way, I do think that, you know, Trump is probably playing the game quite hard at this point, uh, trying to force China towards a possible deal by the end of this month. In reality, you know, he can't play this game too long. Uh, because Trump actually, I believe, more than anybody else, needs a trade deal. If he wants to be re-elected next year, you know, he can't continue down this uh, trend because in the end it will actually cost American jobs. It will actually increase uh, the cost for American consumers. 
And it's a matter of time, and they will turn around and say it's because of you, Mr. President, that that's been a, in a tough economic environment. So he's playing a sensitive game at this point in time, but I do think uh, we can be hopeful that there will be some deal um, because that is really what he needs to actually take back to the voters and say, look, um, uh, we negotiate and I've got a deal for us and, and we can move forward. You know, well, hopefully that will come, that, that'll happen at the end of the day. You know, Trump really prouds himself as being the deal maker. And hopefully he can make a deal that's good for everybody. And, you know, he always says the American people first. And so hopefully it's good for them. It's good for everybody and everybody should benefit from it. But Martin, I just want to thank you very, very much for your time. Um, thanks for coming on to the show and thanks for your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Great. That was Martin Ackerman, the Chief Economist and Advisory Partner at Citadel. Um, I found that really, really insightful. I obviously have the press release in front of me, but it really covered an extensive load of issues. But the overwhelming um, um, feeling that I got from the interview and I'm getting at the moment is that even though we're in a holding pattern, even though we're sitting and waiting, we're sitting with a tremendous amount of stability. We're sitting with an ANC that has really been blunted and has really, um, you know, had to do a lot of introspection. Hopefully on the 28th they can try to get rid of some of the dead wood that have caused them the damage that it has and just lead the country forward and bring back the pride and the glory of the ANC of the Nelson Mandela Day, which was really there to serve the people. And if we can do that and if the opposition parties can all roll up this season and work together, then the great country that we all hope we, we are going to continue to have will, will definitely continue to be there. But talking about great and talking about rolling up your sleeves, there's just something that I want to let you know, that Chai FM is many things to many people. So Chai FM is your source of latest news in the Middle East. Chai FM is your platform for learning. Chai FM is also your companion. And Chai FM is your connection to the greater community. For 10 years, Chai FM has brought you award-winning radio. And now we're asking you to partner with us on Lagba Omer, Thursday, the 23rd of May, for the Chai FM Feed Our Fire Radiothon. So really what we're asking for our community, from our listeners around the country, is to please join the radio throne, get involved. This is community radio. It's the only Jewish radio station in South Africa. It plays a vital role. The more I go around, the more I speak to people. It is the people's companion. And as the, and as the, the blurb here said, it is people's ear to the community. What's going on? What's happening? The sensitivity of the radio show, of the radio station to really cater to the entire community. Um, you know, Friday more dedicated to Shabbat, maybe more dedicated to religious items, but yet catering to the entire community on different times, different times of the day. Please be involved and please put your hand in, in your pocket. Um, we, the radio, the High FM really needs your support. It needs your continued support in order just to keep the small infrastructure that it has going of dedicated people who really commit every single day to make sure that things are live, things are fresh. And maybe at the same time, just to thank the many, many, many volunteers who come on air, who support, who give of their time, who make the radio the quality listening that it really is. So please, for Chai FM, unprescribed, unscripted, and uncensored, please put your hand in your pocket on Lagba Omer, the 23rd of May, and make a contribution. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. Thank everybody for listening. We'll speak to you next week.